Recovery Elevator, episode 351. I recognize and I'm so happy there's so many different programs of recovery out there. And I just like to take what I can from any sources that I can get um, to help me stay sober. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us today. On today's episode, we've got Tom. He's 47 years old. He's from my hometown of Bozeman, Montana. He took his last drink on September 24th, 2019. Hell yes, Tom. Listeners, this Friday, this is November 12th and November 13th, we've got our annual online conference called Regionals, which is included with Cafe RE membership. This online AF event starts Friday after work and wraps up Saturday evening. We've got a great list of workshops lined up at this event, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Join us for yoga, meditation, sound healing, and more. In addition, participate in several different styles of breakout rooms, such as your time away from alcohol, gender-specific groups, and more. Again, this is for Cafe RE members only, and it's included with your membership. Go to Recovery Elevator for more information, and if you join Cafe RE for this event, use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. I want to give a shout out to parents. Making a dramatic improvement in your life, aka quitting drinking, is tough. Doing this while raising kids is next level type stuff. Now, I don't have kids at the moment, maybe one day, who knows, but my brother does have two young kiddos. And earlier this year, I was tasked with watching my nephew for one hour. Now, I love my nephew, but my goodness gracious was it challenging. In fact, I tapped out before the hour concluded, telling my brother my sobriety was at stake. I was joking, well, kinda, and you get the point. Anyways, I just want to recognize and validate what parents are doing right now. The youth are so important in this world, and you quitting drinking will have unimaginable trickle-down effects on their lives. Great job, and keep it going. Okay, let's get started. As I mentioned last week, the holiday season is upon us. For many, this can be overwhelming. Maybe you just muttered, oh shit, to yourself, and that's okay. I want to try something new, Ari. For the next nine episodes, we're going to come up with a game plan on how to log some AF holidays, and hopefully all of them. When I say we are coming up with a game plan, I can say that almost all these ideas came from podcast guests, things that have worked for me, and things I've learned from our community members. So today I've got three tangible things I encourage you to do. But before that, I want to say, just keep listening. There are 54 days left in this year. And if you find yourself on day one, 54 consecutive days in a row, please keep listening. Keep showing up. Don't quit quitting. Does that make sense, listeners? Do you track with that? This is a process and it takes time. In addition, how I concluded last week's intro Let's not pass it on to next year or next holiday season. Let's get a grasp on this right now. So we're worried about progress and not a perfect complexion. Hang on. That's definitely not right. Let me look at my notes. Oh, there we go. Progress, not perfection. Come on, listeners. Let's keep it light. Sure, our goal is to remain AF November and December, but tremendous progress can be made even if we do drink. So keep listening and keep telling yourself you are doing this. This game plan is for anyone who is hoping to ditch the booze this holiday season, whether this is your first time AF through the holidays or your 15th. It's basically the same because we're all on the same day. 
Okay, here's the plan. I'm going to give you three tasks. We're going to keep it short and then kind of a pump up talk. Number one, accountability. And here's the plan with that. A perk of Cafe RE membership is we pair you with an accountability partner. But for this week, we're offering this to all listeners. If you're already in Cafe RE, please let us know so we can pair you with another Cafe RE member. So here's the plan, listeners. Again, this is for everybody. Email info at recoveryelevator.com with your name, age, location, male or female, and date of your last drink, and then KMAC will get you paired. See the show notes, and thank you, Liz, for this information. So the dates we're going to pair you guys are this Monday, November 8th, to next Sunday, November 14th. There's a window that you have to request this pairing. So you'll be paired with someone of the same sex, and you'll begin through email correspondence. Maybe it's just email, but maybe you feel more comfortable moving it to text or to phone, if you're cool with that. Use this time to connect with someone. Maybe they're in the same state. They probably won't be. They might not even be in the same country. And heads up, listeners, we're going to be blasting your email address with spam, with promos and flyers. I'm kidding. That won't happen. In fact, we're not even going to add your email to our main mailing list. This is us trying to be of service during the holiday season. And remember, being of service helps us out also. Accountability part two. Remember Ronnie at the dinner table from last episode? I want you to create accountability before attending a holiday party, Thanksgiving dinner, Christmas, Christmas dinner, all those events. And please don't overthink this. It can be an email or text that says this, yo, Ronnie, I just wanted to loop you in and say I won't be drinking this year at Thanksgiving dinner, so please don't offer me any alcoholic beverages. And I hope your rash is doing better. Now, the next part is equally important. You have to hit send. So this second strategy saved my bacon and early AF life when I sent an email to a groom about his bachelor party in Vegas. I made it through sober because of that email. Okay, number two, stock up and treat yourself. I recommend stocking up on an AF beverage of choice opposed to 30 pounds of Reese's Pieces, but that also may work. When drinking, you spend a lot of money on alcohol. Take maybe a quarter or a fraction of that and fill the pantry with Perrier, Spindrift, Waterloo, or whatever. So I buy a case of San Pellegrino sparkling water every time I go to Costco. When triggered, go for this beverage instead first. You're building new habits and circuitry. In addition, this is a tangible version of self-love and care. Pick a drink you love. Maybe make a point to get a hot chai tea from Starbucks every day. Go for it. The third thing I want you guys to try is begin a new healthy practice. Another way to say that is begin building a beneficial routine. But here's the catch. It has to be something you enjoy. When we hear begin a new practice, we often think of sunrise yoga, guided meditations, or early journaling. If you do enjoy that, then great. But if you're not excited to begin this new practice, then please pick another one. Let's talk time allotted. Start slow. Do this new practice for five to eight minutes a day. And then let's talk time of day. And I'll let you pick this. It could be the first thing you do when you wake up. Maybe at lunch. Maybe before going to bed. And again, this must be something you enjoy. It could be a walk outside. It could be a phone call to a friend piano, stretching, or maybe it's drinking your spindrift while emailing your new accountability partner. Okay, so let's recap on this. Number one, accountability. Either request an accountability partner through us, through this podcast, or create accountability before arriving at Uncle Ronnie's house. 
And why not do both? Number two, stock up on your favorite AF beverages or another type of treat. Number three, begin a new healthy practice that you enjoy. And speaking of practice, listeners, I do my best to practice what is relayed on this podcast, and I've made it a practice to play music each day. Some days, it's learning how to make music on new instruments. So since it's still football season, and I'm a freshman football coach at our local high school, I want to share some of the music with you that I've created while giving kind of a pep talk of sorts. And if you'd like to hear just the talk and the music, you can get it for free at recoveryelevator.com forward slash meditations. The link is in the show notes. Thank you, Liz. Again, if you're feeling triggered, put on some headphones and listen to just this part either in the podcast or download the song directly to your phone. But please do this before taking that first drink. All right, take a knee. Maybe you're wondering if you can do this. This referring to a life without alcohol. Maybe you're wondering where the strength is going to come from. Maybe you're asking yourself, when will this courage arrive? A life without alcohol? My goodness, that seems like a long time and it is, which is a good thing. So let's not worry about that. At this moment, all we're focused on is right now and the day we find ourselves in. So locate your feet on the ground and take a breath. You're still here. Remind yourself that up until this moment, everything has worked out just fine. And may we be bold and say it's even worked in our favor. You don't have to have it all figured out. Nobody does. It's not your job to have it all figured out. Nobody does. And if you did have it all figured out, that wouldn't be any fun. So what is your job? Your job is to keep going, to keep moving forward for those closest to you, for your community, for your family. Maybe you have kids or pets, but most importantly, keep moving forward for yourself. It is your life purpose to keep moving forward, but not aimlessly. When we remove alcohol, we also remove the veil of illusion. At first, this is lonely and scary. We're viewing life in a more accurate lens. This allows us to be more authentic, to give that inner child a voice, and to stand up for that kiddo. Give this life reboot some time. Trust me. Trust yourself. Now back to the strength and courage. Where will it come from? Let's back it up for a moment. Right now, you're actively working on your decision to be the best version of you. In this moment, you're doing the work and you are doing this. So if you ask me, the strength and courage is already here. And before we hear from Tom, let's hear from Odette and Exact Nature. Exact Nature's all natural CBD based products are specially formulated to help you lighten the load in recovery. I've been taking Exact Nature's sleepy CBD pills and sleeping so well. These products are 100% THC-free, and they can be a great tool for your recovery. Learn more at exactnature.com and use the promo code RE20 to receive a 20% discount on your order. That is RE20 at exactnature.com. Thank you, Paul, for another great introduction. And Recovery Elevator, please help me welcome Tom to the show today. Tom, how are you? I'm great, Odette. Thank you. 
Great to talk to you. And let's get right to it, Tom. When was the last time you had a drink? Uh, the last time I had a drink was September 24th of 2019. So my sobriety birthday is September 25th, 2019. You just had a birthday. Yeah, two years. That's amazing. Did you do any celebrating? We went out to dinner and yeah, just had a nice day with the family and it was great. That's great. And let us know a little bit more about you, Tom. Can you give us some background on yourself? Where are you from? Where are you calling in from? How old you are? Do you have a family? What do you like to do for fun? And what do you do for a living? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm originally born and raised in Omaha, Nebraska and college in Minnesota and then lived in Portland, Oregon. About 12 years ago, I moved to Bozeman, Montana, where I live now. I'm a surgical nurse for a living. I'm 47 years old. I'm married with two kids, age 12 and nine, two girls. And for fun, I like, oh, all things outdoors. I live in beautiful Bozeman. So I love fly fishing and anything I can do on the river. I love snowboarding. Um, I'm a runner. I just ran a marathon a few weeks ago. I love hiking, cooking, playing guitar, seeing live music. And one of my more weird hobbies is I love to play with yo-yos. I love that. And listeners, I did see Tom on camera before we started recording and I saw that he was rocking this pink mohawk. And Tom, let me know that that was his marathon hair. And Tom, I have to ask because listeners, if you know, I'm currently training for a race and I'm half excited, half terrified because I've never ran a marathon. Mine's coming up in a couple of weeks. But how was that? Was this your first marathon? Wow. Well, good luck to you, Odette. Um, it was my second marathon, but my first one was when I was 29 years old. Um, so it's been a long time. And gosh, it was just the most beautiful, positive experience. I felt really good the whole marathon. I never really hit the wall too hard. It was a beautiful day. The smoke cleared from the skies here in Bozeman. I just couldn't have enjoyed it more. I was happy with my time and yeah, I had a lot of support from family and friends who had signs and cheered me along. And it was just, it was awesome. I'm just, um, I'm gushing thinking about it. That makes me smile. I know we were just in Bozeman a couple months ago for our retreat and the smoke was pretty heavy. And I know it's been a struggle over there from talking to Paul and Ty, part of the recovery team who live over there as well. So I'm glad the sky cleared up and, and that you had fun. You know, that's that's what I want to do. I'm not really focused on the clock. I just want to have fun, have a smile on my face. And for me, running is we're kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but we'll go back. And running is such a tool for me in my recovery. You know, it is so emotional for me. It really helps with my mental health, it kind of helps me organize a lot of my normally frantic thoughts. Is it also something that you've noticed helps in your recovery? Uh, absolutely. It's as big of a part of my recovery as anything I do. I run pretty much every day. And uh, same with you. It, it helps me clear my head. Um, it burns up a lot of nervous energy that I have. And um, it gives me time to listen to recovery podcasts. And um, that tends to be what I listen to a lot when I run. And of course, it's beautiful here in Bozeman. So I just get to get outside and enjoy the scenery and get some fresh air. Oh, that's amazing, Tom. Uh, next time I'm over there, I'm going to make sure to send you an email and maybe you can show me some routes and we can go on a little jog. Oh, I'd love that. I hope you do. I will. And let's get right into your 
background and your history with drinking, Tom? When did you start drinking? When did you realize your relationship with alcohol was no longer serving you? And what got you here? What got you to quit and to be on this journey with us? Yeah, absolutely. I, I come from a long history of drinkers. There's a lot of drinking in my family and part of my family culture. And when I was a kid, a lot of the adults I was around were drinking frequently. So it was nothing out of the ordinary for me. My very first childhood memory of tasting alcohol was my dad would ask me to get him a beer from the fridge and I would crack that beer for him and sip the foam off the top. And I just remember thinking that taste was just absolutely glorious. I didn't drink much after that until I was late, late in high school and early college. Unfortunately, when I was a young kid, when I was about 12, I did have something really bad happen to me and I was the victim of sexual assault. And that was really hard for me. It left me as a young child with a lot of confusion and feelings of guilt and shame and powerlessness. And um, I think it, it did have a lot to do with shaping who I became. Uh, as a young kid, I was never comfortable in my own skin. And in high school and college, I just wasn't comfortable. And I unfortunately was also the victim of some bullying in high school, just verbal bullying, but it had an effect on me as well. So when I started drinking, it, it did give me that kind of comfort and confidence around people that I, that I lacked from a young age. The first time I remember getting drunk was at my brother's wedding, and I was about 18 years old, and I drank to the point of throwing up. And then I went off to college, and that's when my drinking really started. As I reflect on my college drinking, I was, I was never, quote unquote, normal drinker. Um, I always drank to get drunk, and I drank to excess. In college, I also found marijuana, and I started smoking a lot of pot and drinking, and that was my college life. I was not a good student in college, and I was more interested in partying and having a good time. After college, I did get married, and I moved out to Portland, Oregon. And while I was in college for work, I worked as a cook in restaurants and decided that was what I wanted to continue doing. So um, I worked hard and became a chef in Portland, Oregon. And I did that for 12 or 13 years. And that was a really good job to be a drinker at because it was easy to drink at work while working. And um, there's a strong culture of drinking with friends after work. And um, it was just great. It was about when I was 30 that I was thinking about having kids and I was working so much and that uh, career wasn't serving me well. I didn't really see a possibility of being a family man while I was working that job. And so um, I decided to make a career change. My wife at the time, who is still my wife, but at the time she was in medical school and became a physician. And I kind of followed in her footsteps and went into nursing school at that time. So while still drinking, I went to nursing school and um, graduated and became a surgical nurse and did that in Oregon for two years. And then I moved out to Bozeman and I've been working as a nurse in Bozeman ever since in surgery. For me, I think drinking really started to become a problem uh, after I moved to Bozeman. 
and my health was really starting to take a hit from years of drinking. I was pretty overweight and I had high blood pressure and high cholesterol. And I was really sweaty all the time, which is really gross. I was starting to lose friendships and definitely having marriage problems. I started to grow disconnected from my wife. I had kids around this time and I was not a very good father. And I really, really disliked my job. And in general, I was a pretty angry person. I grew very, very depressed and even contemplated suicide towards the end of my drinking. More and more, I was drinking to blackout. I was drinking and driving constantly. I was hiding my drinking from my loved ones. Um, it was really a dark time in my life. And I did try and quit once on my own. And I made it about two months or so before I started drinking again and hiding my drinking once again. And I went back out and drank for another uh, four or five years after that. And then I, I finally quit. I quit. It was, a, I remember it was a Tuesday night and my wife had come home from work a little bit later than normal. And I was supposed to be parenting and I'd had way too much to drink. And her and I had a conversation that night. And um, I asked her if, you know, drinking was, was that the problem in our, in our marriage and in our life? And she said, yes. And so I quit the very next day. I never drank again. And I wish I could say that drinking was the only problem in my marriage and in my life, but it turned out drinking was one of the solutions to my problems. So once I took the drinking away, there was still a lot of wreckage to sort through and clean up in my life. Oh, Tom, thank you so much for sharing. I'm sorry for what happened to you at the age of 12. I mean, that had to be so scary and confusing, like you said. And, and, and for many of us, drinking and our addictive behaviors is so linked to a feeling of shame and a feeling of guilt and remorse. And you did throw out those words during your share. And it's just crazy because like you said, Alcohol was actually a solution. And I know we've talked about this in other shows and other episodes is the whole premise of it works until it doesn't. And in a way, our brains are consistently trying to help us survive. And you did what you had to do in order to do just that, you know, and it sounds to me like you were very high functioning. I mean, you said you even you know, you worked as a chef and that obviously in itself, the environment is very conducive to continue to drink. But then you transitioned over to nursing school while you were still drinking. Did you feel while you were making that change a little bit of imposter syndrome? Like I'm over here studying to become a nurse and I'm drinking too much. Like, did you have that push and pull within you? Or when did you start in your mind kind of making that shift into I think I have a problem. Did you even have those thoughts? Yeah, that's a great question. It was really hard being uh, an alcoholic and a nurse at the same time. It didn't bother me at first. I didn't, I didn't really realize that I had a problem. But as time went on in my nursing, I mainly when things got really bad in my drinking and I was drinking and driving a lot. And here I was working as a nurse by day and by night living this lifestyle that was not at all conducive to um, what people would think of uh, from their nurses. And I felt 
I felt like I was living a double life and um, I was trying to be this person at work when I was someone completely different when I wasn't at work. And that was exhausting and it really inhibited me from building relationships with people at work because I couldn't let them know who I really was. So yeah, that was, that was really hard. Yeah, I can imagine. And you did mention that at one point you tried to quit and you got to two months and you also said you did that on your own. So once you made the decision and had that conversation with your wife during this time around, what was different or what difference in your approach did you take compared to that other attempt? So I knew that I couldn't do it alone and I didn't really, I didn't know much about quitting drinking. Um, So I just, the only thing I had heard about was Alcoholics Anonymous. And so I sought out an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. Turns out Bozeman has an, an unbelievable recovery community here. And I went to a meeting the very next day and right away I felt, I felt comfortable and I felt like I had found the right place. I mean, within the first meeting. And I started to go to meetings pretty much every single day for quite a while. Uh, The first week, I remember being in meetings and I would just would cry throughout the meetings. And I didn't know why, but I just would cry and I couldn't believe I was sitting in an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. Um, But the people were so welcoming and so friendly and so helpful that I just kept coming back. Eventually, oh, I don't know, it was about a month into my sobriety that I ended up getting a sponsor. And um, I just did what I was told. Early on, I went to a lot of meetings. Um, I was able to embrace the spiritual side of the program. I did work the steps. I continue to work with a sponsor to this day. And over time, it just got easier and easier for me to not drink. Talking about the running, once I got sober, I really wanted to lose weight and get healthy. And it was so much easier to do so when I wasn't feeling sick and hungover all the time. And I just started by walking every single day. And eventually the walking turned into running. And I changed my diet to a much more healthy um, diet. I eat mostly plant-based today. And um, I embraced self-help books. And I found podcasts like the one where I'm on right now. I listened to Recovery Happy Hour. I read Brene Brown. I read We Are the Luckiest by Laura McEwen, I think. And that's that's what I did and um, continue to seek out any avenues for recovery that I can. I recognize and I'm so happy there's so many different programs of recovery out there. And I just like to take what I can from any sources that I can get um, to help me stay sober. And listeners, that is such good advice. You know, I was actually sharing with Tom before recording that sometimes it is still a little bit of a challenge for me to host this show because I also don't have all the answers and I'm in it with you all. But I do think that one piece of advice or something that I think is should be a takeaway for anyone who's attempting sobriety or even already in sobriety is to have this willingness openness and curiosity to try new things, to to see that there's so much out here trying to help you. It doesn't mean that you're going to like it all or benefit from it all. But I think that just trying it and being open and, you know, being willing to 
be led. Sometimes I feel like we just want to do things our own way and we think we have all the answers. And I think it's just such a beautiful thing to do while on this journey is to be open and curious, you know, because there is so much out there. I think it's a great time to be sober. I don't think there's ever been as many resources. And Tom, you also, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but you did say that when you stopped drinking, you realized, oh, that wasn't the only problem in my life. There's all this other stuff. As you were feeling stronger in your sobriety, how was it also facing these other things that are still there when we quit drinking? Yeah, well, it's hard, Odette. It's really hard. Another thing that I've done in my sobriety is I've I've gotten myself into therapy and um, both marriage counseling and counseling for myself. I've I've gone through counseling to help me deal with my childhood trauma and a lot of my problems that I've had in my personal life have to do with just my fear of people and um, how I how I communicate with the world and um, just kind of getting sober and learning to grow up and rejoin the world and communicate with people in a way that is not so selfish and self-centered and less focused on me and more focused on other people. So yeah, those are a lot of the things that I'm kind of sorting through right now. And I appreciate you saying that it's hard because it is. Um, a lot of what we're running away from comes to the surface when we when we stop drinking. And I do think that many of us, including myself, who did that a couple of times, uh, go back to drinking because that almost feels easier than having to deal with the real problems and the real issues inside of us that we still need to heal and work through and talk to people about. You know, it's this road is one for the brave ones and it is hard and it is a lot of work, but I'm also glad to hear that you were gaining some of these wins, you know, like feeling better and turning your walks into runs. I feel like we need to start building that confidence. I mean, how did even work and not having this double life in your relationships, you also saw some benefits there, I assume, as more time went by? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Work has changed for me dramatically since I got sober. I've always loved being a nurse, but like I said, it was hard kind of living that double life. And now at work, I can just, I can really be myself. And I found out that, you know what, people like me and I'm a great nurse and I'm great with my patients. And um, I've just really thrived at work and gone from a nurse who had very low self-confidence and self-worth to a nurse who is truly a leader amongst my peers. And I go to work smiling every day. I thoroughly enjoy my job and I come home in a good mood from work. My life has improved dramatically as a result of getting sober. I'm no longer depressed. I'm, I'm pretty darn happy every day. My relationship with my wife has improved dramatically. My relationship with my children is is amazing and better than it's ever been. I'm making all new friends and repairing old friendships. So life is really good. My running and uh, level of fitness has really given me something to feel proud about in my own life and feel good about um, and given me something to accomplish. So um, I love that also. Just none of those things could have happened while I was drinking. Do you still struggle with cravings, Tom? You know, I really don't. I did at first, of course, but I, I don't have cravings. I have fleeting thoughts 
about drinking or if I'm out and I see people drinking, I kind of once in a while will have a pity party for myself. But like we say in recovery, I, I can always play the tape forward. And I know that if, if I were to have one drink today, it would mean two tomorrow and five next week. And, and I'm, then I'd be off to the races again. So when I have those fleeting thoughts of drinking, it's really easy to push them aside. If it really is bad, I can always call my sponsor or other people I know in recovery. I can go for a run. I can use the tools that I have. And those cravings or those fleeting thoughts always pass. Yeah, I love that you said that you went to a meeting right away. And it sounds like you found community there. Do you continue now that it's been two years? Do you continue to attend meetings regularly? Are you, you know, have you made friends there? How has this community component enmeshed with your non-recovery life? Oh my gosh. Yes. I still go to meetings. I did the kind of 90 meetings in 90 days thing. And then I continued to go to a meeting almost every day for about a year. And nowadays I go to maybe two to four a week, depending on how busy I am. Uh, I have a home group and I never miss that meeting. I meet with a sponsor uh, once a week as well. I have a lot of friends that are in the recovery community and we have so much fun. Um, I go snowboarding all the time with a group of guys from recovery. Um, I go hiking with a group of people from recovery. Um, my running buddies are all in recovery with me. So it is intimately meshed with the rest of my life. I'm happy to say that so many of the friends that I had before recovery um, are normal drinkers, and I'm, I'm still able to hang out with those people as well. And um, I feel no pressure to drink or to return to my old ways from, from friends that I had previous to recovery as well. So yeah, it's really meshed nicely with my personal life. I love to hear that. And in terms of your like day-to-day routine and your habits, were there any particular tweaks that you had to make? I don't know if you had certain times of the day where you enjoyed drinking. Did you have to tweak any of those more practical steps in your normal day in order to make this stick? I certainly did at first. For me, my um, trigger time to drink was um, late afternoon when I would get off work and I would normally start drinking right away. So I had to really keep myself busy during those times. So for several months when I started recovery, those were times that I would call a friend in the fellowship or call my sponsor or go for a walk or just anything I could do to make myself busy, play games with my kids play fetch with my dogs, whatever I could do to just get myself past those cravings. And I I just found that if I could keep myself busy enough, eventually my mind would, would wander away from those cravings onto other things. And I'm really happy to say as time went on, my cravings for alcohol got less and less. And as I got it out of my routine, those times became less of a trigger for me. You know, this is kind of a newer thought and question that I'm trying to incorporate into interviews. And it's because I've personally been seeing it on my recovery. Um, Like you, I use running as one of my coping mechanisms. I have meetings that I attend to online, or I can just, I have a therapist as well. But I also have these days where 
you know, I'm really struggling and I'll notice that I'm eating 20 pieces of Halloween size candy and I'll wake up and all these wrappers are next to me and almost have like a micro guilt remorse trip the way that I used to have them with drinking. But now just looking at all the Twix wrappers next to me, is there a coping mechanism that you use that is not your favorite, but it does keep you away from drinking? Hmm. Well, I do like salty snacks. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> I, like I said, I really, um, I, I eat mostly plant-based. And so I really focus on a healthy diet right now, which keeps me feeling so good inside. But I, I do give myself permission um, to have a bowl of chips or something really unhealthy once in a while. And, and yeah, I don't beat myself up over that. I, I pat myself on the back and, um, and move on. Um, I definitely think that's okay to do. You know, I mentioned earlier, I like to play yo-yo and that's just a silly hobby I do when I'm just really anxious. Um, it's very meditative for me to sit around and throw my yo-yo and do yo-yo tricks. Um, so I do that too. Yeah, thank you for sharing. You know, I'm trying to really, through just time hosting this and having more conversations to normalize whatever works, you know, like whether that's, we all want to be maybe Buddha and sit down and meditate for 30 minutes when we get triggered. But I notice sometimes the equivalent of that for me is like I said, candy and watching Dancing with the Stars on Hulu, you know, so it's like the other day I found myself saying out loud, like, am I to, to my husband, like, I, I, I struggle because I still wonder if I'm doing this right. And he just looked over and he's like, you're doing it right. Like, don't you said it perfectly. Don't beat yourself up. I think that more people than we think need to hear that because even when you're in it, it's still hard. And there's still some really tough days where we know what to do. We know the tools, especially now with all this information available, like I said, but sometimes even those things seem hard to do. I know I should call or go for a run or do this, but sometimes it's hard to actually do the thing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, just wanted absolutely. to share that like continuous grace. Absolutely. I guess a bad habit that I have along the, you know, I, I like to play cribbage on my iPad and I can waste a good hour playing cribbage. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's maybe a bad habit, but I, I enjoy it. And um, I, again, like we said, I don't beat myself up over it. It's better than the alternative. A hundred percent. I think it's key. And I'm really glad that you are finding the things that work for yourself, including also tweaking your diet um, for me to, you know, like sleeping better. It's so cool. It's such an experiment if we choose to see it from that lens of this like self-exploration and experimenting with what works for me, because I also think that we're all so unique and different and we share the same struggles, but different things work for different people because we are all so different. So I'm really glad that you are really personalizing recovery to what works for Tom and that you are sticking to that. Yeah, thank you. And Tom, I know that we could chat for much longer, but we have reached the rapid fire round. So if you could answer these questions in 30 seconds or less, that would be fabuloso. Are you ready? I'll do my best. Okay, perfect. Number one is what are you excited about right now? Right now, I am just so excited that I just ran that marathon and I'm looking forward to just staying physically fit and um, looking forward to upcoming races that I have on my, on my calendar. What's an unexpected perk of this journey? 
An unexpected perk of sobriety is the way that I've just grown to love my job like I never imagined that I could. I'm, I'm just over the moon happy being a nurse here in Bozeman. What's a light bulb moment you've had during your sobriety? Yeah, a light bulb moment for me, um, as you mentioned, I was a pretty functional alcoholic or so I thought. Um, But now that I've gotten sober, to be able to step back and look at just how unmanageable my life was with alcohol in it, it it took me stepping back um, and getting sober to really be able to see the truth there. What would you say to younger Tom? I would tell myself that I am worth it. And Mm -hmm that I'm worth the work that it's going to take to get sober. And that when I get sober, I'm going to have a life beyond my wildest dreams and a happiness that I never knew that I could have. No, I love that. Tom, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? Oh, I'm glad you asked that question. My favorite flavor of ice cream is Oatly brand chocolate ice cream made with oat milk. It is delicious. I am a huge Oatly milk fan. I have it in my coffee every morning and I have not tried the ice cream. So this is going on my bucket list. (laughs) You have to, you're going to love it. What parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners who are thinking about ditching the booze? Um, You know, I would tell people that this sounds kind of cliche, but gosh, if you think you might have a problem with alcohol, there's a good chance you have a problem with alcohol. I'm someone who I didn't get in any legal trouble. I didn't lose a job. I didn't lose a marriage, but I still had a problem with alcohol. So you don't need to have that horrible, awful bottom to, to go and get help from alcohol. You can, you can just feel that maybe you have an issue and start looking into that. And before we depart, Tom, can you give listeners your own, you may have to say adios to booze if line. Yes. Um, you may have to say adios to booze if, if you've hidden so many bottles around your house that you can't remember where you hid them all. Tom, it was such a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. I can't wait for everyone to hear your story. I appreciate you. And thanks again. Thanks, Odette. This was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Have a wonderful rest of your day. You too. Thank you. Very well, Team Ari. That wraps up our interview for today. And before I say adios, I want to share with you a little something that I've been using in my therapy. As many of you know, I have been in therapy for years and I did recently start with a new one-on-one therapist. We've had a couple of sessions and one of the tools that she's brought to me that I've found very useful is this value system or value scale value ranking process. I don't really know what it's called, but we basically went through values, which you could do a quick Google search and just Google values and wrote down what three core values exist for me in my life. And I'm just going to give you one of the values that came up for me. One of those is family. And we talked about how decision making in our lives should move us towards our values instead of away from our values. And if you've been having a hard time getting sober, staying sober, saying no when people offer you a drink, you know, holding your boundaries, if that has been hard, maybe a little hack is to see it from a different perspective and pick out your values and then decide if drinking is moving you towards or away from your values. So back to my example. I know that when I drank, I didn't really prioritize 
playtime or even just presence with my kids. I was too busy and too worried thinking about how much I drank. Can people tell that I've been drinking? Where am I going to get my next drink from? And that was pushing me away from my values, one of them being family. So obviously it takes time and practice, but if we kind of reframe our decision making to where we are truly trying to move towards our values, it may help to have a new framework. It's kind of like when we say, don't ask yourself, are you an alcoholic? Ask yourself, is alcohol bringing you negative consequences to your life, right? So just it's a different framework. I found it really useful and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. So let me know what you think and I hope that you all make it a great week. Remember that you're not alone and together is always better. Recovery Elevator, you took the elevator down. You got to take the stairs back up. We can do this. I love you guys. Get out of the story. Get out of the story and use the mind to locate the body. Move the energy inside by talking, walking, and most importantly, trusting that the body already knows how to do so. We cannot fight a drinking problem or an addiction because it's trying to tell us something and we must listen. It's nudging us in a certain direction. Listen to the heart and follow your gut intuition. This will never mislead you. People often ask me, what's the one thing I can do? My response is always the same. Burn the ships. It's these repetitive thoughts that always drive you to make the same decisions. It's these familiar decisions that always lead to the same actions. It's these familiar actions that always result in the same outcomes. It's these same outcomes that constantly result in the same emotions. It's these familiar emotions that give you those familiar feelings. thinking.